Welcome to New Beginnings Family Center's podcast. We hope that you are inspired by this message today. Our desire is to make a difference in the things that matter most by serving and loving those around us. If you're looking for a place to connect or desire to start a new beginning in your life, then we invite you to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Please visit our website at mbfcfamily.com or find us on Facebook to learn more. Stay tuned as great things are happening in the lives of God's family. A few weeks ago, when I spoke, it's quite possible that I've been misunderstood. But it's more likely that I wasn't clear enough in my message, right? Because I can have a tendency to do that. The last time I spoke, I spoke about two words. And those two words were even though. And the idea was to help us get through things we don't understand. To help us get through things that we don't know the outcome or we don't know what happens, but to still continue to have faith or believe during those things. I have no intention of conveying anger in whatever I say. However, I am a passionate guy. And I'm enthusiastic and I'm sometimes intense, which sometimes happens to come across as anger. And that's not what I'm trying to do. So I apologize if that happens or happened. That being said, I want to discuss a few things today and hopefully clear up as mud what I was trying to say before. And when I do that, I don't know that I'm preaching at you, okay? I'm having a conversation with you about myself. I don't want you to think that I'm here to tell you how to believe. I'm going to tell you today about what I believe and how I've changed and how I see the world, okay? It's going to be different from you, I can almost guarantee it, right? Because I see the world in a lot of different colors than most people. I'm just saying. So I don't want you to walk out saying, I can't get a, I just don't understand. Nobody else does either. It's okay. Right? My wife of 18 years has a hard time. So if she has a hard time, I don't expect you guys to like, yeah, it's going to be great. So, but what I do want to do is pull up, I got this wrong, right, Mace? 2 Timothy 2.7. This is a verse I want you to think about today. So just think about what I'm saying. You don't have to believe it, but just think about what I'm saying and understand and grasp the application. For the Lord will grant you full insight and understanding in everything. You don't have to believe me or understand me. Just consider it. And the Lord will, Lord will take care of the rest. He says that, right? Amen. So Timothy was a young guy. And Timothy was a guy who was misunderstood. He was not thought of as a scholar. He ran into these problems all the time. So he said, look, guys, just... Roll with me for a minute, right? So give me a little bit of leeway, a little bit of dynamic, and we'll be all right. So there's number one. Man, that's full. But I want to, I want to frame this and, and, and make this abundantly clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what I believe. And I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of him, and it's the way to eternal life. I also believe that Jesus is the Son of God in man form and sent from the Father because he loved us to die for us that we may be reconciled to him. So right off the get-go, I'm not preaching a message that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I've changed in my own life and how my faith has changed is who God is to me and why Jesus came to us, to me. 
And, and who God is to me and what that means and what that looks like is where the, where the colors come in. That to me it's more vibrant than black or white. In the past several years, I mean, my wife's been with me on this journey, and it's, I'm sure it's been hell, for lack of a better term, with her as I've gone through these changes. But, but I feel more confident now of where I'm at with my relationship with God and how I see Him than I ever have before. It's more clear to me, and it makes more sense to me than it ever has. A few Sundays ago, the pastor made a statement about the Word being living and alive. And it says that, right? The Word is alive. What does that mean? What, we say it all the time, but what does it mean to be alive? And if the Word of God is alive, I've never seen a book live. But if it's alive, then it has to grow, right? And if it has to grow, it has to change. Because nothing that grows stays the same. Nothing. It always changes. But we, say, we see in the Bible, it says, I, ne I never change. My word changes not. My heart changeth not. I don't change. The Lord says that. But how can the Bible be alive? If the Bible's alive and it changes, but yet God doesn't, how does that work? I would suggest or submit to you that it works through us. We change. I have now looked at the Bible for my 42 years on the earth, and actually less than that, because I haven't been following that long. But in my last 20 years of following the Lord, I no longer look at the book like I used to. I think we look at the book sometimes and we say, man, it just says it so it is. Because it's easy to believe a literal translation. It just says it so it is. It requires no extra thought or expansion of my brain, or my imagination to go, maybe it's not what I think it is. Just maybe it's not what I, it says it is. Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe it's more than that. Amen. And I won't even talk to you about loving your enemy, because that gets a whole other level of difficult. So, so, so if we're looking at the Bible, then we're like, wait a minute. I just can't keep reading it over and over and over and over again and going, that's what it says. It doesn't just say that. So there's a fancy term in the, that, that the scholars or in education, we say exegesis. Okay? So exegesis in the Bible, the Bible can only mean one thing. That's it. It can't mean something different. The reason I say that is because think about a gigabyte, right? Or think about... Uh, Wi-Fi. Think about a term that you use in your language in email, a text. Google it. Google is a verb. Did you know that? That's kind of crazy. You can use Google as a verb. But think 2,000 years from now, somebody reading what you're writing. So the exegesis of the Bible is only what they meant at that time and place. So there is a context in which the Bible's written for a people of that time frame. Do we, do we kind of understand that? So yes, we can apply it today, which is a totally different word. <clears throat> but it only meant one thing. So if I walk up to Tim and I write something on paper, I'm saying, how many gigs is your hard drive? 2,000 years from now, and they're like, gig. 
but they're playing a venue with music, but it's a gig. But it's in a box in a hard drive. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Because a gig can mean different things, right? So a gig to Tim in my context and how I'm talking to him is about the size of the space on the hard drive. Yet if we look down the road and we say the term gig and they only reference it as meaning to them a musical venue of how we're playing something, then that word gig means something different. But it's not what I was texting Tim. It's not what I meant for him to get. So the term that we have to be careful of is that we apply Jesus, which is the other term, is the application of Scripture. So if we take the exegetical part, I know it's fancy big words, I understand that, but what I'm saying is that we have to understand the context in which the Bible was written and to who it was written to before we can apply it to our lives in America in the 21st century. That is how I begin to see the Bible differently. So if I read a text and it says, well, this is what it says. Maybe. Maybe. Because what did it mean to them back then? What did it mean to the disciples that he was talking to? And how many times did Jesus say, you don't get it. <laughs> You're not understanding what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like this. He had to spell it out. Or it's like this. I had to paint pictures because they didn't understand. So now if we're painting pictures with our words in, in context, do we paint in color or black and white? We love to paint in black and white as a belief system, as a thought process, and as your brain. There's a term, which I love, and Steve heard me talk about all the time, because I think it's so, so important. And then my wife brought up another fact yesterday that makes it even more simple. Have you ever seen the TV show called Brain Games? I think it's on a science channel, I think, or Discovery or whatever it is. There's a show called Brain Games. Your brain is an amazing tool. And it does some really freaky things. When you walk, did you know you're falling? You're not walking. You're actually it's a controlled fall. So you're falling forward. And every step, you put foot forward. You're just falling, and you're catching yourself. It's really kind of weird. But the brain goes, okay, we get this. We'll stop ourselves from falling down. So we'll put a leg out, right? But the brain also then, you can give your brain pieces of information, and then put it, and your brain goes, got it, fill in the gap. So if you saw a red octagonal sign, we think stop sign. Or hexagonal, right? Is it eight or six? I don't know which one. It's just a stop sign. Eight, right? There we go. So the brain goes, got it. We'll fill in the pieces of which we don't think you know. Why? Because the brain is fast. And how many times have we seen on Facebook those crazy shares that people are like, watch this. You can't read this. Letters are all jumbled up, right? Correct. So as long as you know the first letter and the last letter and the roughly what's, how the sentence is flowing, you piece it all together. Backwards and upside down. So the question then becomes is how are we reading the Bible? Because I'm telling you, if we're reading the Bible in the same manner, we're missing something. Because the Bible through American eyes is not the same as the Bible through 2,000 years ago in Judea. It's a very different context. So when he talked about storing up treasure in heaven, I'm like, oh, that's a different word. When we think about treasure, I guarantee you, almost all of us in this room think about a brick and booty chest from a pirate ship overflowing with golden rubies, right? Yes. 
not what it was implying. Not anywhere close. So it's a challenge for us to separate some of these things out to go, what does it really mean to us? And then, and then better yet, how do I tell somebody else, you're not storing a pirate chest in heaven? It's not how this is working. But, but for us in our brains, our brains put it together and say, this is just how it is. So we have to step back and go, no, it's not. So my, my process last time I spoke with the whole thing about even though is to try to say there are things that happen which we just can't piece together. Our brain doesn't, doesn't work, right? So as, there's this term called cognitive dissonance. And, and, it, and the dissonance is the, the inability to make sense in your brain. The cognitive is the word for brain. Dissonance is it doesn't work, right? So our brain deals with this all the time. It has to deal with harmony. And in my job as a paramedic, the inside of your body deals with a thing called homeostasis, meaning your body has to be in balance all the time. It cannot live out. So there's a pH balance inside your body that says, we've got to stay in this tiny range. And it's literally like two-tenths or three-tenths of a percentage or a number that your body has to stay within. That's it. So your body is constantly changing to stay within this, this middle, this balance, this thing where you're like, mm-mm. So you guys that are diabetics or, or have issues with sugar, what's the body doing? More insulin. I've got to drop the sugar level. That's where the body's going. We've got to stay in balance. We've got to stay in homeostasis, right? Well, the brain does the same thing and says, you know what? I've got to make it make sense. It has to make sense. Otherwise, I can't sleep at night. So if we bring up, not that we want to dwell on it today, but it, it's the most extreme aspect I can think of cognitive dissonance is serial killers, Right? I know, Alicia looked at me like, what are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly, your brain's like, I don't get that. But if you look at the old people like Ted Bundy, the Green River Killer, or we look at Jeffrey Dahmer, or we look at even Charles Manson, which was a weird oddity thing, and we look at these individuals and we say, they're crazy. But why do we say that? We only say that because our brain doesn't let us think they're sane. Our brain goes, you possibly cannot be normal. The behaviors in which you exhibited or, or the things that you did cannot be normal. It can't be. You're crazy. Whew. So our brain takes crazy and goes, it, it allows us then to go, Ted Bundy, crazy. Whew. Thank God I can sleep now. Because otherwise, when things don't make sense, it causes us turmoil. It causes us stress. We lose sleep. We don't eat. Because it doesn't make sense. So that was my whole point of the last time I spoke was even though. Even though it doesn't make sense, God. <laughs> so where our brain's like, I, it doesn't make sense, you're right. But there's a God in the middle that says, I know. And even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to put it together. <clears throat> so I want to show you Exhibit A, I don't know what else to call it, picture one, whatever. But it's the, the, a maple sapling, okay? And we've all seen these pictures of, of trees that are little and, and small, right? That tree, and for John, anybody else who's having a hard time seeing, it's a stick in somebody's hand that is a maple tree sapling. It is about a half an inch in diameter, and this one has a red-ish tint to it. 
We've all planted trees or seen them planted or seen them at the greenhouse. That's it. That's a maple tree, right? So if this we can look at as the Bible and say, you know what? This is me. This is where we're growing to. Next picture, Mace. Now, did you ever think that that tree in his hand would become a tree that is three or four feet around and have bark that can actually cut your skin? That sapling, you can rub all over your hands and arms and skin. It doesn't touch you. It's even soft. It bends. This picture of a tree has shaggy, rigid bark. It's rough. It doesn't look anywhere near that the sapling did. So should that be our faith? Should that be our Bible? If it's living and growing and changing, then our belief in the Bible has to also change. The Bible's not, but we should. We need to begin to look differently after reading the Bible. And, I, and I'm not, please do not misunderstand what I'm about to say. I did not know the name change was going to happen. I did not know that. And I'm not bagging on faith or ripping faith as a term, okay? I want to try and expand the idea of the church. When somebody told me a couple weeks ago that we're in a faith church, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Because if I, ha- if I walk up to a sapling in my hand, I can see around that sapling, right? It's just tiny. It's only half an inch. It's not blocking my vision. But if I walk up to this tree really, really close, I can't see around it. It's, it's, in my, it's blocking my view. But man, that's a faith tree. It's faith. This tree has grown out of faith. But if I allow this tree to block my view of the church... God's people, then I miss what I could see. My vibrant color mind misses what could be because I'm, I'm, I'm blocked by the bark of this tree. And, it's, and I'm telling you, faith is rigid sometimes and can be damaging to others. Next picture, Mace. But if, but if I look at, I say, well, Derek, take a step back. If I build a forest out of just maple trees, if I build a forest out of one single tree, the tree of faith, and if I plant a bunch of trees of faith, then I have one color. I have a yellow forest. And as I was doing some of the research for this, not that it's super important, but West Virginia is a place where people travel to to see the leaves change. It's a destination place because of color, not because of singularity. They actually have maps of what time, when to see the most color, and when to go there. Where it's at, how to drive there. If we want this church to be the fullness of God, then we have to be able to see the whole picture. Not singular, where we're a church of faith. I want to be a church that all encompasses everyone coming in that has Colossians 3, we'll get there in a minute. But the idea that, yes, faith is part. Faith is a foundation. Faith is a principle in which we stand. But it cannot be the only thing 
Otherwise, we're monotone. We're monocolor, right? If it's the only principle we're standing on. Next picture, Mace. So what if, what if I said, okay, Derek, you're, we need to look at grace or love or, or hope or whatever word you want to throw in there. It doesn't matter. I've heard of grace churches. I'm not knocking grace fellowship. That's not what I'm doing. But there are people on TV we've heard. We've heard people in the, on radio. We've seen all these people come across the country, right? Or world. We're Jesus-only church. We're a grace church. We're a love church. Or we're a seeker church. We're, they end up becoming singular in nature in the message in which they're presenting, right? We're throwing out all the other pieces because we want to focus on, on letting you wear shorts and a t-shirt because that's what we think we should do. Well, they've ignored faith. And they've ignored love, but man, they're seeker-friendly. Next one, Mace. But what if, what if we have, wait a minute, I got it. We'll, we'll combine two of them. If we combine two of them, now we have a two-color forest, which doesn't do much of anything. I, I'm telling you what, dude, this, this had to be God. Because I, I, I couldn't come across that picture any other way, right? Sorry, I just think it was. But this is how my brain works in trees and forests and colors, Right? Because I'm looking at God saying, how can we see differently? And he's like in full color. That's how we're going to see differently. Not just faith. Not just grace. Not just love. If we want the fullness of God, and pastor's talking about the glory of God, it's the whole piece of the pie. It's the whole pie. It's not a sliver. It's not a piece. And just so you know, I don't like the crust on pumpkin pie. So it's, it's that too. It's, it's all the pieces we don't like. Right? It's all of it. So I, I had this happen. I had somebody tell me in my, in my pledge to clear up my mud. And they said, well, how can you pray for something that you don't know the outcome? I was like, hmm said, our belief system, if we have faith, then we can know the outcome. I don't agree with that statement. I think that the issue is, even though, our God is not asking us to know the outcome, to be confident in the outcome. Our God is asking us to have faith in him during the process. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in problems. We still live in a place that is not done yet. We don't live in heaven yet. Things are not gone and I don't know the outcome. And I heard this statement that I, that I thought was, or I maybe combined it. The challenge for us is not to exchange the confidence in our God for the arrogance of our outcome. Think about that. God does not want us to have so much confidence in the outcome that we lose confidence in Him. Where are we placing our faith? Are we placing our faith in the outcome? Are we placing our faith in our God through it? Because in some, in some my brain, in my, in my colorful brain, I jump to the outcome. Well, my God said I have it. Mm, no. Your God said I'm with you through it. You may get it. But that's the whole point of me being in charge. At some point, we end up ourselves on equal footing as God saying, no. I demand I get what I ask for because you said it. Because I get what I ask for. You said that. As my cape's blowing in the wind. And God's like, nah, I don't think so. 
I mean, think of, I, I mean, reference Job. I know some of you don't like what I said, and that's okay. You can disagree with me. I, I, I welcome that, because iron does sharpen iron. But think about this. At the end of Job, and Job and God were like going hand to fisticuffs in verbal altercation saying, look, God, you're a moron. I should not have gone through what I went through. I don't like you very much. This is stupid. And God said, get your own dirt. Make your own ball. You don't like how I run the show? Then make your own earth. Make your own people. Do your own thing. You know what Job said? My bad. When we step up to God in a manner that is that arrogant, that we believe we know the outcome, unequivocally know how he should work, then we've removed God from the equation of doing what he wants to do in his context. I know some of you are like, no, I'm going to punch you after this. I'm okay with that. I get it. I'm okay with it. But let me, let me bring up Abraham and Isaac, right? When Abraham brought Isaac to the altar, Abraham did not know what God was going to do. How could he? he was, the pants were scared off of him like, no, I don't want to sacrifice my son. Are you kidding me? God's like, not your call. So if Abraham, the father of faith, was going to sacrifice his son and did not know the outcome, but still trusted God, there's a lesson there. But what about Peter on the water? Peter stepped out on the water not knowing the outcome. He had no idea the water was going to hold him. But he had faith in the process. He had faith in the middle to say, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you through this. I'm going to trust whatever it says you, you do, right? Let's look at Matthew 8, 1 through 4. When Jesus came down from the mountain, a great throngs of people followed him, and behold, a leper came up to him, and prostrating himself, worshipped him, and saying, Lord, if you are willing, you're able to cleanse me by curing me. And he reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed by being cured. What? Okay. That's a whole different exegetical thing, and I won't touch that today, but there's a lot right there. Okay? Cleansed and cured are two different things, just so you know. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell nothing about this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded for a testimony to your healing and his evidence to the people. That, to me, does not sound like a guy that was confident in the outcome. He didn't have it all figured out to say, I know if I go touch Jesus, I'm gonna, it's going to be good. He said, Jesus, if you're willing. He didn't even know he'd be willing to do it. So, there, so we have to be careful that we're not getting ahead of ourselves and, and putting God behind us. Let's look at Luke 7 through 11, or 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a, crowd, a town called Nain, and his disciples in great throng accompanied him as he drew near the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large gathering from the town was accompanying her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. 
And he went forward and touched the funeral bier, and the pallbearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the man, dead, sat up. And he began to speak. Give him, and give him back to, Jesus gave him back to his mother. Profound and reverent fear seized them all, and they began to recognize God and praise and give thanks, saying, great prophet has appeared among us. God has visited us, people in order to help and care and for, provide for them. And this report concerning spread throughout whole Judea, all the country and about. At nowhere in that passage of raising a dead person did anybody have faith. He didn't ask the woman to have faith. He didn't ask the dead guy to have faith. He didn't ask people around him to have faith. But somebody was raised from the dead. What? But Jesus, if we go back, it says he had compassion on them. Oh, wait a minute. There's another, we add something else, right? We're adding compassion. So let us be a church that adds compassion to our faith repertoire. Let us be a church that adds to what we already have. Let's look at Matthew 20, 29 through 34. And as they were going out of Jericho, a great throng accompanied him, and behold, two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And they heard Jesus passing by, and they cried out, Lord, have pity and mercy on us, son of David. The crowds reproved them to keep still. They said, shut up! Stop talking to him! That's really what they did. Lord, have pity and mercy on us, you son of David. And Jesus stopped and called them and asked, What do you want me to do for you? They already said it. Have mercy on us, right? Pretty sure that was what they said. And they answered him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. That's what they wanted. And Jesus, in pity and mercy, touched their eyes and instantly received their sight and followed him. Okay, it didn't say they had faith. He did not tell them to have faith to be healed. He did not tell anybody around them to have faith. Guys, if you want to be healed, you have to have faith. That sentence did not exist. But what did he do? He had mercy on them. Oh, now wait a minute. I'm adding another tool to my tool belt, right? If I add to my repertoire of faith and I add mercy and I add compassion, now I add love, I'm adding two. I'm not getting rid of faith, but I'm adding to, right? So then if we look at Colossians 3.12. Clothe yourselves, therefore, as God's own chosen ones, his own hand-picked representatives, who are purified and holy, well-beloved by God himself, by putting on behavior marked by tender-hearted, pity, mercy, kind healing, lowly humility, of yourselves, gentle, patient, long-suffering, and has the power to endure whatever comes with, I, whatever comes with good temper. It's a different version, but it's okay. The idea is, when we're out and about, at the giveaway, or other places, we walk with a clothing that says, welcome to Jesus. We walk in a manner that says, I'm humble. I'm going to present to you compassion, love, mercy, humility. All these things that I'm going to wear in front of other people. Why? To get them to have a cup of coffee. To get them to have lunch. So when they say, 
my wife just left me. Sorry. Do you want to get a cup of coffee? Do you want, do you want to, can I, is there anything I can do for you? Not saying to that person, if you would have had faith, that would have never happened. Right? If you just would have faith, your life would be a bowl of cherries. It would be this rose garden thing if you just had faith. Instead, I love you. Let's dine together. Let's eat together. Let's, Jesus did this with sinners, right? He sat with the, the tax collectors and the sinners. He sat with them and said, you know what? I love you. Even though, I love you even though you're living in sin. I still love you. And I thought about the giveaway yesterday. It's an amazing thing. We didn't judge anybody. We didn't ask them to give their financial records. We didn't ask them what their faith was. We didn't ask them what their you know, belief system was. We didn't ask them if they even believed in God. That's how Jesus behaved. It is the exact way that Jesus healed people in the moment. Jesus had compassion on this person. He gave mercy to this person. He had this person have faith. That's what we did at the giveaway. So as these people were receiving free stuff, we met them where they were and gave them what they needed at that time. That's what people are asking for. People today are looking for an authentic church not based on one thing, not based on two things, but based on what their need is at that time. Can you, can you love me? Because I feel dirty, I feel broken, I feel alone. I just need a friend. I don't need your faith. I need a friend. Can you just sit by me and love me? Because I'm broke. Our answer should be yes. And it's through that building of a relationship we go, hey, do you know about my God? Because I've been where you have been. And sometimes I'm even there. But even though, I still have my God. <clears throat> I'm going to close in just a minute. I want to show you a few pictures and I'll be done. Mason, can you show the wreckage picture? I know I'm over, and I really apologize. I, can I keep going? Is it okay? Okay. So this was an accident that I was at on my job. These are public pictures. The state police sent them out. I was there. Next picture, Mace. I think it's car one. This is what it looked like from the other side. Okay, the next car. That's the car that hit him. I won't go into details, (laughs) because I saw a lot. But you know, the number one thing I heard from people, that when we we got back into the hospital, when we got back to even town, or some people had texted me, what happened? Why did it happen? Remember the brain. The brain's looking for a reason of why. We've got to know. This guy crossed the center line. The, the messed up car that was 13 feet longer than it should have been, he crossed the center line, crossed the median, it was on 69, got hit, right? The two people in the other car were in their 60s. Why? Why did it happen? Was the guy texting? Because if, if our brain says he was texting and driving, whew, that makes sense, right? Our brain's looking to make sense of tragedy. It's looking for answers, Instead of us saying, I don't know. 
I don't know the answer, but my God, even though this happened, my God is still there. Instead of us saying, well, if they just would have prayed before they left, it wouldn't have happened. If they just would have prayed. So this couple, when they set out in the morning, I guarantee you, did not leave their home expecting to be in the hospital that night. This guy, when he left, didn't expect to cross the median. I don't know the answer. But here's what I do know. I, I'm, and I'll stake my life on this. I will, I'm telling you I believe it that hard. My passion, right? My intensity, almost righteous anger. I don't believe God is sick or sadistic. I do not believe that. And how my faith has changed in the past two to three years is that God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. And God is not sitting up in heaven on this stool and not looking at a faith meter for you. God's not sitting there going, man, you need to be at 9.7. Come on, keep believing. Keep trusting me. Just a little more faith. Oh, you get to die. Do you think God does that? How can we say to people, if you just had more faith? Because where's the meter? I don't know what it is. How do I know then if I'm at enough? God, I don't know what to do. Where's the number? What number do I have to believe to? I want to trust you. You got to be at 9.8, buddy. You got to be there. But I'm not. I'm broken. And he said, have mercy. We don't know what you can do. We don't know if you can heal us. But I will. That's not faith. That's questioning. That's doubt. It's, it's, it's crazy. But I will tell you this. If we as a church can step back from the tree bark, right? Step back from the tree of faith. To step back, not fall, but step back and see the forest, to see the, to see the forest of grace, mercy, love, compassion, humility. Mason, show the other picture. That is my God. My God is full of color. It's full of red, green, orange, yellow. And I bet there's purple in there somewhere too. That's how my brain sees God. Not singular, but you know what? Let's invite the world in and tell them we love them. Let's invite the world in and show them our faith in God and show them how we're humble and help them and love them even though. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for for giving us pictures of nature pictures of, of trees in, in, in relationship to you. And that you are, you are color, you are vibrant, you are love, you are mercy. You want nothing more than for us to just love you and live our lives of, out of gratitude for you loving us first. That we understand that this love that you had for us brought you to a cross. And this love caused caused a connection in relationship. To move from friendship to intimacy with you that we now know that we are loved. Lord, we just thank you for that today. And that let us go forth from these four walls 
Let us go forth into a mission field and, and, and look at people as trees of color. And let us be the tree that they need shade for. Let us be the color that you've given us. Whether it's red, whether it's yellow, whether it's green, let us be you to them. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.